Couldn't help but think as Jace was making announcements this morning, uh, the list of those that need prayer just seems to grow and grow every Sunday. Uh, some people have been on that list for a long time. Uh, just ongoing illnesses, reoccurring illnesses, maybe multiple problems. Uh, there are names on that list that, for whatever reason, I never expected to see their name there. They seem so alive, so full of life, uh, so vibrant. And, you know, you just, you never think about it. You don't expect to see them there, but still, there they are. If you look on the PowerPoint list or listen to the, to the list that Jace gave, you hear names that you never expected to be there. We've had people up there with physical ailments. We've had people up there and still have people up there with mental ailments. We have people up there with addiction problems. Sean started all this when he talked about the storms on Wednesday night during the sing singing here not too long ago. And the fact that if, if you're not going through a storm right now, be ready because you're going to at some point in time. You're going to have a storm. And I think about these people and, and sometimes I hear people uh, become angry with God. Why is God doing this to me? Why is he allowing it to happen to me? And, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really make me angry. It doesn't upset me that they say such things because I realize the, the physical pain or the mental pain that they're going through that would make them utter such statements, but it breaks my heart on their behalf because they're questioning, they're angry with the only one that can help them. The only one that can see them through that storm. The only one that can pull them out the other side. <clears throat> Recently, on the news, I heard a an interview with an NFL football player. And he was raised in a Christian environment. And many times throughout his career, I had heard him speak favorably of God and, and of a love for God and appreciation for God. But on this instance, he said he was starting to doubt God because of some of the things he'd seen some of the struggles that he had witnessed. And he just said, I, I don't see how loving God can allow people to go through some of the things I've seen. It just breaks your heart. So I want to study with you this morning and see if we can come to a little better understanding about these storms. Uh, as I said, Brother Britt and Brother Brandon gave us some tools for dealing with that, but I want to I drill down to the storm itself and see what we can understand about that and see if we can come to a little better appreciation of God. So this morning, the title we have is The Storms Still Know. And that may seem like a kind of an odd topic, odd, odd title, but I think as we get on in our study, and maybe toward the end of our study, you'll begin to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, my prayer this morning is that we can show you a picture, a picture painted by the Holy Spirit a long time ago, a, a, a picture of Jesus Christ and how powerful that was 
and how powerful it still is today. Sometimes we forget that that power is still there today. So we're going to, if you'd like, if you prefer to read out of a Bible, we're going to have a lengthy reading from Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. The scriptures will be up here on the board if you don't mind reading off the board, but if you prefer to read out of your Bible, feel free to do that. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there came a great calm. That word rebuked, I want you to remember that word. We're going we're to look at that again in a little bit. He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding furious, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd ran violent down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything that was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. I love this story. You talk about drama. You talk about excitement. Here we've got two demons possessing people. Exceeding fears, the scripture says. And they were scared to death because of Jesus. Oh no. What are you doing here? Have you come to torment us before the time? You see, those demons knew the instant they saw Jesus, that whatever Jesus said they were going to do, they were going to do. There wasn't going to be any argument. There wasn't going to be any debate. They were going to do what Jesus said, even if they didn't like it. No one in that city could deal with these people, with these demons, or the people that they, these demons possessed. Nobody could do anything about it. And they asked the only one that could do something about it to leave. You ever do that? You know anybody that has? The only one that can do something about it and you ask them to leave. And what I want you to notice about this scripture is the authority that Jesus had in his words. Jesus had power. He had authority in his words. When Jesus spoke, 
things started happening. In Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 4, the Bible says, Where the word of the king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? We've known that about kings forever. Back in the days of the kings, when a king said something, that's the way it was. Nobody got to argue with it. Nobody got to dispute it. How much more with Jesus? Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? We don't have any right to say to Jesus, What are you doing? These demons wanted to know what Jesus was doing there. Because they knew that they would do whatever he told them to do. If he told them to come out and go into a herd of swine, that's where they were going. No, no debate, no dispute. And I suppose throughout the chapter of Matthew, chapter 8, there we see that recurring theme of the power of the word of the Lord continually. I suppose you could say that about the Gospels in their entirety. We see all kind of crises. Diseases, afflictions, things doctors couldn't cure. Physicians couldn't do anything about it. Jesus healed them all. No problem. In the case of the centurion servant, back in verses 5 and 10 of Matthew chapter 8, we see that Jesus healed his servant through, through uh, distance. The man wasn't even there with Jesus. He just spoke the word and the man was healed far away from them. So Jesus has power over all disorders, medical conditions. Now he's got power over time and space, distance. And we just read about this storm on the sea that no seasoned seaman could deal with. They couldn't get through it. And at the end of the chapter, we see that there were demons that society couldn't tame. They couldn't deal with them. And we see that Jesus has authority and power over all of it. He has power over nature, power over demons, power over what the world would call today supernatural. He's got power over it all. So you begin to see that picture I want you to see, picture painted by the Holy Spirit a long time ago that's still as valid as it ever was. He is the Lord of all, and when he speaks, things happen. The word that comes from him is backed up by God, is given to him with the authority of God, and is backed up by all of heaven. Hebrews 13 and 8 says that <clears throat> Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. What he could do in that day, what he did in that day, he can do today if he so chooses to do so. I want to ask you, do you know that? Do you realize that? That what he could do back then, he can do today. <clears throat> Jesus is enough for anything you face today. No matter what the storm is. But I want us to focus on this storm. For just a little bit. I want us to focus on verse 23 through 27. And I want us to see what we can learn about this storm. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you, I believe this was a satanic storm. And I'll tell you 
why I believe that in just a moment. But to begin with, I'm going to talk about this Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, Lake Kinneret, whatever you want to refer to it as. But in this case, it's the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> it's about, depending on where you look, it's about 8 to 10 miles across it. So it's not huge. I mean, we've got lakes in the United States that are much bigger than that. But it's about 8 to 10 miles across it. And it was notoriously prone to storms. Galilee is, the, the, lake, the sea itself is situated about 700, 700 feet below sea level. Let me, let me say that again. 700 feet below sea level. That means if you dug a trench, as far as I could tell, the depth of the Sea of Galilee was about 45 feet, give or take a little bit. So if you dug a trench from the ocean into the Sea of Galilee, it would immediately become 745 feet deep. That's how low it was. The mountains on the west and north and east rose about three to 4,000 feet. So you had a, a body of water surrounded by a high mountain range you get wind coming over that mountain range, dropping down, coming over the cold tops of those mountains, and then coming down on that water, down into the, to the low, low place, and that warm water. You get storms. You get storms immediately. It's a beautiful place. That's not a very good picture on that screen, but if you see it on a computer, it's a, it's a beautiful place, a beautiful uh, body of water in the surrounding area. But storms could come up in a matter of minutes. And it was notorious for this. And apparently that's what happened on this day. As the storm came up all of a sudden. Now you might be asking, well if that's the case, why would you say it's a satanic storm? Well there's, there's several reasons. First reason is this wouldn't be the first time that Satan used weather for a disaster or for a tragedy. In Job chapter 1, verse 19, as Satan was allowed to tempt Job there, the Bible says, And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they were dead. And I only am escaped to tell thee. All of Job's children were killed by a satanic wind, came and smote the four corners of the house and dropped the house on top of them. So it wouldn't be the first time that Satan's used this kind of thing. Think about the crew on this ship for a moment. You got Peter, Andrew, James, John, among others. You remember what these guys did for most of their life before they became disciples of Christ? They were fishermen. And they weren't just hobby fishermen. They were hardened fishermen. They spent a lot of time on the Sea of Galilee. They saw a lot of storms, and they still fished in those storms because they were what we might refer to as commercial fishermen. They had to work to earn a living. They weren't afraid. Why now? What's different about this storm? Apparently there was something different about it because they were scared to death. It wasn't the first rodeo. They'd seen it many times. In fact, in the account that Brother Britt McCarter spoke to us about a couple of weeks ago in Matthew 14, 
The Bible doesn't indicate that they were afraid of the weather in that situation. Now, they were afraid when they saw Jesus come walking on the water to them. They were, Peter was afraid when he got out of the boat and began to walk to the water and he saw the boisterous waves, but they don't talk about the whole crew while they were in the boat being necessarily afraid of the storm. But in this case, they were. In this case, they were absolutely terrified. But add to that the fact that Jesus, in verse 26, the Bible says, if you remember our reading earlier, rebuked the winds. Now that's an interesting word. That's not a word we use a lot. But it's a word that the writer used to describe an action of Jesus. Something Jesus did. And it's an interesting word uh, in that uh, Jesus didn't use it a whole lot. He did on occasion. But the ways in which he used it is what's interesting. If you look at Matthew chapter 17 and verse 18, it's an account of Jesus rebuking a devil. The Bible says there, And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And a child was cured from that very hour. That's the same word that the Bible uses in talking about the actions of Jesus concerning the storm. Well, what's it mean? To tax upon. Etamai, that is censure or admonish by implication. I love this, to forbid. To charge, rebuke. This is the action that Jesus took to the winds and the waves. It's also an action he took with regards to a demon on many occasions. But the interesting thing about it is <clears throat> that uh, he, he only used it in situations like these. He didn't use it in regarding people except for one time. And that time was uh, in Mark 8 and 33. When he was describing to the disciples what was about to happen to him, that he was to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the scribes, and that he was going to be killed, that he was going to rise the third day. And Peter said, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen to you. And you're going to find this interesting. The Lord said, get thee behind me, Satan. That's how he responded to Peter when he rebuked him on that occasion. Mark's account of this storm adds a little more flavor to it. In Mark 4, verses 39 through 40. And he arose and rebuked the winds and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Peace, be still. That's an interesting phrase. Can't pronounce it. But anyway, I'll show you the definition. Silence. That is a hush. Properly, muteness. That is involuntary stillness. Think about that. Involuntary stillness. That means it didn't have any choice. It didn't have any argument. There was nothing it could say. It couldn't continue. It had to be obedient. Involuntary stillness. Or an inability to speak. 
The Spanish is a little blunter. Shut up. Be mute. That's what he told the winds and the waves. Doesn't there seem to be a personality behind this storm with what's going on here? Seems like there's a personality behind it to me. And of course then there's the context here in Matthew chapter 8 and in the other Gospels uh, where Jesus is on his way to deliver two men who were possessed by these demons. They were overtaken by demonic spirits. Society had given up on them. Society had pushed them out into a deserted place, the tombs it's uh, it's, uh, called, and they were forced to live there in solitary. If you look in some of the other accounts, I think in Mark, uh, he only refers to one and is supposed that that was the most fierce of the two. And uh, he said that this man, they tried to bind him with chains and he'd just break the chains. They couldn't do anything with him. They couldn't handle him. So they were forced to live in this solitary place. They were hopeless. They were running around naked and squealing and cutting themselves. Men had no cure for them, and Jesus was on his way to take care of the situation. You might say these men were trophies for Satan. He was proud of what he had made them into. So considering these factors, you, you think that Satan might want to hinder Jesus? from his goal. Now I'm sure Satan knew he wasn't going to stop Jesus from getting there, but here's what he thought. If I can cause trouble with the disciples, if I can drive a wedge between the disciples and Jesus, then that what a great victory that'll be. I'll give up these two guys if I can drive a wedge between the disciples and Jesus. Do you know that he's trying to drive a wedge between you and Jesus today? Do you understand that? Do you understand what the storm is? When the storms come, he's trying to drive a wedge between you and Jesus. If he can make you doubt Jesus, mission accomplished. If you're not a Christian today, but you're learning about Jesus, you're considering your soul. You're considering the need for a change in your life. You're considering the Lord and what he could do for you. Satan will use every possible tactic to distract you, to prevent you from becoming one of God's children. He wants to blind your eyes. He wants to keep you from seeing the truth. He wants to keep you from seeing the gospel of Christ. He wants to keep you from seeing what God can do for you. Maybe you've experienced that. Probably we all have at some time or another. You make a, a move toward Jesus and some storm arises. Some crisis comes up, causes you to take a step back, kind of put it on the back burner for a while. Can you identify with that? Every time you make a move toward Jesus, it seems like some hornet's nest gets stirred up and something comes up, distracts you from it. You ever experienced that? I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of other Christians. I've seen it in the lives of many people. People needing relief from sin. 
And they try to come toward the only one that can help them with it, and some storm comes up. And they get distracted. It delays their request for help. If you're in a storm today, I want you to encourage you to do something. Very difficult to do. You need to ignore the storm. You need to not pay attention to the storm. Don't worry about the storm. There's nothing you can do about it. Worry about the one who can get you through it. I know it's hard to do because Satan wants to distract you. But that's the way we can get through it. He wants you to think he's powerful. You know, Satan's into storms. He likes big light shows, a lot of noise, a lot of smoke. Stir things up, distract you. Make, you appear, make it appear that he's greater than God. He's bigger than God. God's weaker than he is. He wants to bother you. He wants to make you think that Jesus is asleep. He doesn't know what's going on around you. Jesus is down in the bottom of the ship. He's asleep. He's not worried about you. He wants you to think that God has forgotten you. He wants you to doubt God's goodness. He wants you to doubt God's love towards you. And that's why in the verse 25, the disciples said, Lord, save us. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Mark in his account adds a little more to it. In verse 38, 38, Mark says, uh, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You don't care? We're dying here and you don't care? They not only wanted to save their lives, but they questioned Jesus. They doubted him. How can you sleep through what's going on? You know God is in control. Even if you don't know it. Even if you don't realize it. But if you're going to have the blessings that comes from God's goodness, you're going to have to believe in him. If you want those blessings in your life, you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to believe in Him. You're going to have to believe that He's good and that He is in control and that He's got the situation under control. Satan was permitted to momentarily interject a storm into this trip. And the disciples were shocked. Jesus wasn't shocked. He wasn't surprised. If you look at verse 18 leading up to this event, Matthew 8 and 18, we didn't read this earlier, but I want to read it to you now. <clears throat> now when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave commandment and departed to the other side. Now did you catch that? He gave a commandment. He said, we're going to the other side. I guess the disciples didn't catch that. Or else they would have had faith that they were going to the side. Because that's what Jesus told them was going to happen. Today he tells you that he can forgive you of your sin and see you in eternity with him forever. And he commands us to do that. Do you understand what that is? When you obey that, it's going to happen. That's going to happen. So we see that he gave commandment to go to the other side. If you look at verse 8 and 28, and when he was come to the other side, we see the will of God accomplished through Jesus. They got to the other side, didn't they? 
We look at one verse and he gave commandment to go to the other side. Now we look at the end of the chapter, they got to the other side. So if you drop that storm out of the middle, you see what the will of God was and then it was accomplished. But there was a, bit of a little, little thing called a storm in the middle. And that's what I want you to see. <clears throat> the will of God was accomplished. <clears throat> Why did God allow this little blip, this storm? Why did he allow it? It's what we would call today a teachable moment an opportunity to teach. The disciples' faith was being tested. They were beginning to believe in Jesus. They were around Jesus, and, and they were listening to the teaching of Jesus, and they were beginning to believe uh, that he had authority and that he had the backing of heaven. And uh, when he said something, that it was going to come to pass. Even in the face of the storm, they were beginning to believe that. You know, I know that because they know, knew where to go. When they thought, we're going to die, they went down and they found Jesus. Now, what did they think? Did they think Jesus knew something about the sea that they didn't know? Maybe he could row harder than they could? I, they knew where to go. They knew he was the only one that could offer them relief from this, this storm they were facing. Maybe there's a storm you're facing right now. So I want to study with you for a little bit about what we can learn from the way that Jesus dealt with this situation. The first word that Jesus spoke was a rebuke to the storm. He speaks to the storm. He commands it to be still, be quiet, shut up, sit down. Peace be still, as Mark put it. You see, we've got to understand the power of the Lord to control our enemies, our storms. We've got to understand that. If we don't, we'll be lost. Romans 10 and 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing what by the word of God. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say faith comes by the word of God. It says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. One of the ways we can hear the word of God is to attend worship services such as we're having this morning, to hear the word of God. Another way is by getting in homes and studying with other people, going to people's homes or having people in your home and studying the word of God. We hear the word of God proclaimed. But have you ever thought about this? Another way to bolster your faith, to increase your faith, is hearing ourselves proclaim the word of God. You ever thought about that? Try it sometime. When you're reading your Bible, read it out loud. Don't read it silently. Read it out loud. You might be surprised at the effect it has on you. Sometimes we get apathetic in our spiritual discipline and defense. Sometimes we need to take ourselves, as it were, by the scruff of the neck and say, you need to straighten up. You need to have faith in God. You need to be quiet and sit down and listen. Psalms 46 and 10 said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. 
Be still and know. Be quiet and listen to the word of God. The psalmist writes in Psalms 42 and 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The psalmist here is not praying to God. Did you realize that? He's not praying to God here. He's talking to himself. Why, why are you so upset? Why are you so uh, fearful? Why, why are you so misunderstanding? Why are you so disquieted? Why are you so uncomfortable? Hope in God. He's speaking to himself. He's, as it were, knocking himself around a little bit and straightening himself out. We need to take what God has purchased for us through Jesus, through the blood that he shed upon the cross. We need to take that, and we need to use the weapons of our warfare, which Brett and Brandon discussed, and we need to put ourselves in shape. We need to apply those things to our own lives. So the first word that the Lord used is a word of rebuke to the storm. And it had authority. It had an effect. The sea and the winds were obedient immediately. Have you been passive in your battle with storms? Do you understand that it comes from the enemy? The second word was a little gentler. It was also a, a word of rebuke, but it was a little gentler. And I remember thinking in, when I was very young that I would read this passage in verse 26 where Jesus said, Why are ye so fear, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And I thought, man, that's hard. These guys were scared. They were in the middle of a storm. They were afraid. Why didn't they have a right to be afraid? And Jesus said, Why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? Why, do your, why is your face so small? And I thought that was hard. It, it wasn't hard. Jesus was trying to teach. He didn't, he didn't stop and say, you guys are useless. You're just worthless. You're never going to amount to anything. You can't be my disciples if you can't get over a little old storm. He said, why are you fearful? What are you afraid of? Do you realize that you don't have enough faith? Do you realize your faith needs to be stronger? They should have believed, but they didn't have enough faith to pass the test. Their, te their faith was being tested. <clears throat> you know, when Jesus gave the commandment to go over to the other side in, in verse 18, he said he didn't say, let's, let's give her a try, guys. Let's, let's give it a go. We might make it. Maybe we'll make it. You never know. No, he said, we're going to the other side. And they should have realized it. It was an emphatic statement. And they should have had faith that that was going to come to pass. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is the reason that God permits tests to come into our lives, our faith to be tested. And you know, there's sometimes that some of us have a lot of knowledge about the scriptures. You know, we know that trying times are coming. We know how we should respond. We know we should have faith in God. We've studied the Bible and we realize that. You might say that's seeing the storm off in the distance. It's out there. 
looks pretty black, but it's not here. But sometimes those of us that may have a lot of knowledge of these things and understanding what we're, God expects us to do and what we should do, but we don't have a lot of life experience with storms. The life experiences of storms here. It's on you. What are you going to do? How are you going to deal with it? Are you going to be react and be fearful? Are you not going to have enough faith? Are you going to have enough courage to at least call for Jesus and not say, why are you doing this to me, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? The Lord also rebuked them because they failed to recognize that he was right there in the boat with them. He's right there with them. Do you know that he's right here with you today? Do you realize that? They were in the same boat as the Son of God. Yeah, but he was asleep down in the bottom. He's still there. Verse 23 says that they got in the boat with him. When he got in the boat, they, they followed him. They knew he was there. He was there with them all the time, and he, he wants to be with you today. He wants to be uh, the captain of your boat. He wants to be in charge of your life. If you're not a Christian, he still wants to be the captain of your boat. He wants to be in charge of your life. You know what I believe the Lord was telling them when he said, why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? You know what I really think he was telling them? If you had the faith that I intend for you to have, if you have the faith that I want you to have, if you believe in me the way I want you to believe in me, you'll be down here asleep with me. The storm won't matter. You'll ignore the storm. I think that's what Jesus was telling them here. That's a very humbling thought. Makes me realize how far I've got to go. How much I need to improve. Now, does this teach that Christ will always miraculously deliver us from the storm? Well, it'd be nice if it did, but it doesn't. There are times when he allows us to be placed in the storm for a purpose. And as we look at the scriptures, we see that there are storms that people are delivered out of, just like the one we've studied today. But there are also other times, like in Acts chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul, who had great faith, was standing in the middle of a storm. We're not going to turn to that chapter, but you turn there and read sometimes. Acts chapter 27. Paul's in a similar situation. He's in the middle of a sea in a boat with a great storm going on. And it looks like all hope is lost. And Paul relays to the men that were with him, the, the men in the boat, some were his captors. And he said that he had received a message from the angel of the Lord. And he says, I believe God that it will be even as he told me. You know what he told them? He said, stay in the boat. Because at that time, several were about to leave. They were about to get in the lifeboats, cut off the lines, and, and try to make it to shore on their own. And God said, stay in the boat. 
And Paul said, I believe God that what he has told me will come to be. And they cut off the lines and they let the lifeboats go and they all stayed in the ship. And you know what? They all survived. The ship was lost. Ship ran aground and it was broken in two. They, they suffered shipwreck, but their lives were saved. So sometimes you have to go through a shipwreck for another purpose that God has got in mind for you. Something you can help someone else with. He says to you today in Psalms 44 and 22, Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But he also says in Romans 8 and 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He also says in Romans 8 and 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Jesus has authority over all things. Disease, death, demons, nature, supernatural. But he's got authority over fear as well. And that may be the most important thing. God asks us to believe his word and to believe that he is with us even in the middle of a satanic storm. Yes, we're to put on our armor, use the word of God for our support, believe in his promises, and choose to believe that he's with us and that he'll always believe us. And if we do that, even if we don't break out of the storm, we will break through the storm, living or dead. It won't matter because we'll be one of God's. He doesn't want us to fear the storm. <clears throat> Do you know what the greatest part of this story is today to me? The best part of this story to me, Jesus was asleep. Think about that. Jesus was asleep. And I believe that's what he wants for you today. I believe he wants you to be able to sleep through the storm. I believe that he wants you to have enough faith and trust him to be oblivious to the storm. So I ask you, are you facing a storm today? Maybe you haven't believed in the Lord or repented and been converted. Maybe because of a storm keeps hindering you, keeps putting it on the back burner. I'd encourage you today to focus on the Lord. Forget about the storm. Don't worry about the storm. Focus on the Lord. Maybe you are a Christian and you feel that you're being assailed by the, the storms of darkness and it's about to overcome you. Forget about the storm. Think about Jesus. Let us help you. The storm still knows who's in charge. The storm still knows who it obeys. My question is, do you know that today? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.